Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love and for your goodness. Father, we thank you that we have this place that we can come together and hear your word being preached, that we live in a country where we have the right and the, the, the privilege to be able to worship you in public and to hear your word in public. We don't have to be afraid of, of being imprisoned or, or killed. And We just thank you for that blessing, Lord. We, know we never want to take that for granted. So, Father, thank you for being here. Lord, I pray that every one of us would have an experience with you this morning, that we'd have a revelation of who you are and who we are in you, and that we would grow this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're continuing on through the book of 1 Peter, and today we're going to be going through the, entire, the entirety of chapter 4. So it's one of those where there's not quite enough in there to, to split it out into two, but it's a little much for one. So I'm going to need your cooperation, no distractions, no getting me off target or getting me off track. If you guys want to get out of here any time today, you're going to have to let me be focused. We all agree? Amen. And then afterwards, since uh, if we have any extra time, since Abby likes to rap, she's going to come up and do something for us. What's your favorite rap song? What rap song are you going to do for us? <laughs> All right, so we're going to have her come up at the end just in case, because she loves to rap, we just found out. Can't wait. <laughs> Hallelujah. So like I said, we're going to be diving into First uh, Peter chapter 4 today, and he deals with two primary subjects in this chapter. The first one is being a good steward of God's grace. How many know that you've all been given an incredible amount of grace from God? How many know you're supposed to be smart about it? and be a good steward of that grace that He's given you? And this entails a couple of things. One, that means you're not supposed to sin. Now thank God that if we do sin, we have an advocate in the Father. Thank God if we fall, as long as we get it back up, we haven't failed. But the purpose of salvation, being freed from sin, is so that you don't have to sin. God's grace was not an opportunity for us to sin without consequences, but rather it was an opportunity for us to live without actually sinning. Amen? Amen. And the next thing that we're going to talk about is understanding that as Christians, we are going to suffer. If anybody told you that if you get born again, if you get saved, then everything's going to be lollipops and gumdrops from here on out, they, they lied to you. Because the truth is, is that, that uh, as a Christian, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through things still. We still have a life to live. In addition to that, you're probably going to face things that you never would have had to face if you weren't a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to be persecuted for being a Christian. You're not going to be ridiculed for being a Christian. So you will deal with things just by being a Christian. And we're going to endure trials. And one of the things that I would encourage you when you're sharing the gospel with people, the gospel with people, it is an amazing thing. The gospel is incredible. Jesus gave his life so that we could be made free and brand new. But if we're, if we're pitching in as this, this perfect life, we're actually doing a disservice to those who had become believers because it's not going to play out the way that, that, that they would think it would if we tell them that everything's going to be perfect from here on out. We will endure trials, Amen. But the good news is God will never leave us nor forsake us. He'll get us through everything that we have to face. You know, this weekend, uh, uh, we went on a, a or last week we went on a vacation up to Sholo, and we, we uh, took the trailer up there, and, and on the way up there, we had some, some truck troubles. And long story short, when all of us said and done, the, the bill for this is going to be several thousands of dollars. And I have a choice of how to respond to this. Because this is, a, this is something that I have to endure. It's a, a trial that we're going through. Not because I did anything wrong. I mean, sometimes you deal with stuff because you do stupid stuff. Sometimes the enemy is attacking you. And sometimes we just we li we live life. Trucks break down. That's what happens when you drive a truck. It wears out. You know, and, and truthfully, a lot of this was probably my own stupidity. 
because uh, uh, we had an issue. A check engine light came on. I took it in, took it to a mechanic, spent a bunch of money, but they couldn't quite finish it. And I asked him, I said, look, I have to be back to, to work on Friday. Will the truck make it home? And he said, yes. He was wrong. But the thing is, is I still made the decision. He may have told me it was going to be okay, but I'm the one that made the decision to drive it home with the check engine light still on. And uh, ultimately, the engine seized, and I have to get a brand new one. So, uh, and a, a, a big truck engine is not cheap, unfortunately. But I, as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, how do, how do I handle this? I can be mad, right? I can be mad at God because I can blame God because I was praying the whole time it would make it, and it didn't make it. Maybe God let me down. I could be mad at Him. Um, I could be mad at, at the enemy. Maybe this is the devil making my truck break down because he wants to get at me. Um, I, I, there's all kinds of ways we can handle it. But then I began to, to really think about it and, and you know, we're told to rejoice in all circumstances. And I got to think, I'm like, you know what? I have the means because God has given my wife and I good jobs to, to be able to take care of this. It's not like we're going to be destitute. We're not out on the street. It's just money. How many know you can always make more money? That's a weird concept to, to, to work your head around, but the truth is I can always make more money. But my family's safe. We didn't have anything bad happen to us. We, 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 we broke down at about 10, 10 11 o'clock at night in the, in, on the 87 between Payson and, and Phoenix. Had we gone another mile before the truck stopped running, we would have been in a place where the police officer that finally came up, he said that, that my hand radio can't even get out of this canyon. The, the car radio can barely get out of it. No cell phones work. As it was, we stopped just at the edge where there was one section. If I walked about 30 yards from the truck and I stood there and I turned a certain way and I didn't move, <laughs> then I could call the insurance company and get things working. They were able to get out there. The, the tow truck had a, had a truck that could not only take the truck but the trailer at the same time. And we parked it in the lot because I had the trailer. I had a place to sleep. Propane still works, so we had heat. I mean, there was so much that could have been way worse. So how do I look at it? I just give God praise. Because you know what? We're going to be all right. Amen. But the thing is, is that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to face trials or hardships. Now, truthfully, what we're going to talk about today, he's not talking about the, the trials of life. He's actually talking about suffering and being, and being persecuted as a Christian. Suffering for Christ is what he's going to talk about. But the truth is, is you're going to face all of those things in life because that's just life. And sometimes it's our own doing. Had I just listened to that gut feeling and pulled over a little bit ahead of time or called the tow truck, but no, I, had to, I wanted to get back. So now instead of a few thousand dollar bill, it's, it's significantly more. Choices that I made. But you know what? God's still with me. He's still going to take care of me. Make sure it all works out. And it's amazing because he made sure that there was a rental car available. This is a little town where they told me that they never have cars available in Payson. Not only do they have a car, they had an SUV that we could fit all the stuff on our trailer to take home. I get to work and, and trying to figure out how, my, my truck is still in pacing, by the way, right now. <laughs> trying to figure out how we're going to do next week. And it's amazing how God works because first we're going to have to share a vehicle, Michelle and I, which is pretty inconvenient. But then a guy from work says, hey, I live pretty close. I can give you a ride. And then my boss calls and says, hey, we've got an extra work truck. You can just drive the work truck. And then today someone from the church said, hey, if, if you need a vehicle, I can give you a vehicle. God is making a way left and right. Amen. He's a good God. I told you guys not to get me distracted, though. We haven't even started. Man. What's that? I know. Brand new. With a warranty. I never had one of those before. 
First Peter 4, 1 through, 2, 1 through 2 says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You guys have seen pirates before, right? And what's the one thing that all pirates have is the eye patch. Did you know I've read that, that the eye patch isn't because most pirates had a bad eye? Most pirate captains didn't have a bad eye. Do you guys know why that most of them wore an eye patch? Maybe a little bit of that. Yeah. What's that? What? It, I don't think that's it, but that's a good thought. Actually, what it was is, is that when you were on the ship out in the middle of the sunlight, your eyes would adjust to the sunlight, but sometimes they had to go below deck into their cabin or below deck of the ship. So if they kept a patch over their eye, the, the, the eye that the patch had would always stay adjusted to the dark. So that way when they went under the ship, they could just pop the patch up and they would have one eye that could see until they were able to, to have both eyes adjust and they could see. So the whole point was about having their eyes being adjusted so they didn't go down in complete pitch black waiting for their eyes to see under the ship. You've probably noticed the same phenomenon in your own life when you walk inside from a super bright place, it takes a second for your eyes to adjust. Or have you ever walked into a movie theater and you walk in, you can't see anybody. It always happens when you're looking for your family because you came in late and you can't see a thing. So you're standing there in front of the screen just looking like a dummy looking around <laughs> trying to see, see people. And then you notice a few, uh, you know, half hour into the movie, you look around and you can see everybody perfectly in the theater. It's because your eyes adjust and you can finally see it. But you know, this is the same thing that happens to Christians who continue to live in sin after they get saved. See, at first it's not right, but eventually they, they begin to adjust and it doesn't bother them anymore. And eventually it feels normal. And it shouldn't be. Sin should be against your character as a Christian. You, you've been given a brand new life inside of you. It's why we, we feel that conscience and that, that stuff going inside because we're going against the grain. We're not acting like who we are. But if you do it enough, it'll begin to feel normal as your body adjusts to what you're doing. But as Christians, we should be living without sin, not adjusting to sin in our life. That's why Peter said to to we should arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ who suffered in the flesh. See, Christ could have made some compromises when He lived. He could have made some different decisions. He could have different things. But He, he suffered for us. He didn't compromise at all. And Peter says, you should arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Don't, don't compromise and live a little bit in sin Don't because you'll get used to it. And that word translated as to, to arm yourselves is... It refers to how a soldier puts on armor. And what that means is it's, it's just like when, when Paul used in Ephesians 6.13 where he says to put on the full armor of God. What that means is you actually have to do it. When you're born again, the armor doesn't just fall out of heaven and, and land on you. That means you have to make a conscious choice every day to put on the armor of God, to live in accordance with His will, to resist the temptation of sin. Because if we don't, we get used to it. Jesus suffered in unfathomable ways. And He didn't sin. And He actually had to suffer because of sin to pay the penalty for our sin, not even His own. But He continued on for the sake of the Gospel. And He goes on to say, 
arm ourselves with the same way of, of thinking forever suffered in the, in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. The, the reality is, is that, that all Christians have suffered with Him and died with Him by faith. And if we did these things by faith, if we suffered with Him by faith, if we accepted His identity because He accepted ours on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, then we must understand that if we did it by faith, that we might have to suffer a little bit in our real bodies as well. And in, in, in real life, we might have to deal with some stuff. Even for doing good. Has anybody ever wondered, I, I feel like I'm doing everything right, I'm doing all the right things, but stuff's still going wrong. Anybody ever wondered why that's happening? Sometimes we have to deal with stuff. We, even for doing good. Matter of fact, if you remember in chapter 3, uh, Peter said it's better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, then for doing evil. Because if you if you're, suffer for doing evil, you're, it's your own fault. You do something stupid and you suffer for it, that's your own problem. But to, do, to suffer for, for serving the, 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 the kingdom of God, for serving Jesus, to suffer for that, he says that that's a better thing to do. And if we're going to suffer both by faith in Christ and our own bodies for doing good, then we ought to live the life that was given to us by Christ's sacrifice. We ought to live how He intended us to live. Especially if that's what's ultimately causing us to suffer. In other words, if you are suffering or being persecuted for for your new life in Christ, live that life regardless of what you're going to have to deal with. Don't get caught up in the sin of your old life just because it might be easier. There are some things that are going to be difficult as a Christian that you're going to face persecution. You're going to face people pushing against you. All your friends that still want to go out and drink and party and that's not who you are anymore, they're going to want you to come alongside of them and keep doing those things. You have to make a choice. Am I going to be who God created to me to be or am I going to fall back into who I used to be? Because we've been set free from sin. And the problem is, is most Christians don't understand it. They think they've just been forgiven. But you've been so much more than forgiven. You've been completely set free from the bondage of sin and death from what used to control you. You have a choice now. You're able to live without sin. You're completely free from it. And so many people thought they were free before, but you talk to people who thought they were free before. Well, I don't want to be a Christian because then I won't be free to smoke, to drink, to do all these things. Just ask them if you're so free, then don't do them. They'll realize that they're enslaved to those things. They're not really free. They're just a slave to something else. Christ died so that we could live free from the bondage of sin and death. And as Christians, we should live our lives in such a way that we don't have any sin in our lives. It should be very rare for a Christian to sin. Amen? Amen. Now, like I said, I thank God when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That we're still forgiven. If you fall down and mess up, you're still forgiven. But it becomes an issue when we're intentionally living in sin, when we're choosing to live this way. That's something we have to think about. Live your life free from sin, not in a way that all of a sudden your eyes adjust and you're okay with doing those things that are not permissible, that are not okay, that are just damaging to you. Continues on in verses 3-5, through for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same food of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living 
and the dead. So many of you, if you've been around Michelle and I for long enough, you've probably heard of us refer to our BC days. Anybody ever heard, heard us refer to BC days? That's, that's our, uh, our before Christ days, before we were saved days. It may shock some of you to know we weren't always Christians, certainly weren't always pastors. But when we talk about this, we never look back longingly on those days wishing that we had those things back. Matter of fact, one of the things that I hate doing the most, because it makes me feel uncomfortable, is going downtown Tucson at night. Because there was so much of my life spent down there not being a Christian that it, it brings back memories that I just assume not relive. I don't want that life anymore. I'm so thankful that it's gone. So I don't look back on my BC days longingly. They weren't times of, of they weren't times of joy and being carefree. Now that I, I know what I know now, back then I thought it was great, but I know now that I was actually in bondage, that I was being held down, I was being hurt and damaged. Those were actually in times of imprisonment and death. They weren't times of of carefreeness and joyous time. I look back and I was like, man, I was so deceived by what was going on. So Peter is reminding. The, the people that he's speaking to, that the time has passed for all that stuff. He says, look, the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. You've already lived through all that stuff. You've already done it all. The time has passed for you to want to do those things. They're Christians now. And they have no business getting involved in all of this stuff. Yeah, they're working on yep. it. Yep. <laughs> All right, apparently the building is structurally sound. <laughs> Hallelujah. As Christians, are we done? As Christians, we have no business getting involved in this stuff. He says, look, the time for this stuff is past before you were born again, but you have no business getting involved in it right now. And the thing is, it doesn't matter how much time that you had in it. If you spent 20 years in it, that was plenty of time. But if you got born again at a young age, the, the short amount of time from when you were born to when you were born again has been enough time for you to live in sin. It's past. It's, it's sufficed. The past suffices for doing those things that the Gentiles want to do now. The truth is, is if you've only had a short time, you're much better off. I look back now at my life and, and God had always been speaking to me my whole life, but it wasn't until I was, I was in my... Uh, uh, early 30s that I finally said you know what I'm just going to serve God with everything that I have and now the only thing I wish is I would have done it when I was younger how much how much time did I waste how much more could I have accomplished for the kingdom of heaven had I been serving him the whole time instead of waiting but the reality is is that we're all born sinners and no matter what amount of time you spend in that life that is certainly enough time to get that stuff out of your system but here's the thing though if you try to live a godly life, you're going to confuse those around you. You're going to make them think some weird things because they're not saved. It's just with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they will malign you. You know, it wasn't any different in Peter's day 2,000 years ago than it was in our day now. The interesting thing is we look at, we look at the, the, the history of man and technology has changed, but people haven't. People are still born into sin. People still have the same old desires, the same things that they want to do. And Peter says that, that, look, if you 
have said, my, time, the, my past suffice for all this stupid stuff and I'm going to live as a Christian and not get involved in it, people are going to be confused. They're going to treat you weird. They're going to wonder, why don't you want to go out with us? Why don't you want to do these things? They might even say that you're crazy for believing in fairy tales. They might even say that, that uh, uh, I mean, that's one of the things I hear all the time, especially you get online and read forums and stuff and anytime God comes up, people, man, I can't believe people still believe in fairy tales. And they begin to malign you. They begin to criticize you. And the, the truth is, is that uh, we're pretty fortunate here in the United States. We, 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 we kind of have, uh, we don't kind of have, we have a lot more freedom than many other countries to share this stuff. But Peter says that if, if you live a life like this, and even in the United States, if you, if you go ahead and say, I'm going to step away from that stuff, that's not how it was, people are going to malign you. And if you think about what he's talking about, the, the picture of what he's talking about, if you read the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of this chapter, um, he says that, that, that Christians are suffering even unto death for being a Christian. That's what he's talking about, this suffering, this maligning. Other translations say abuse is, is for being a Christian. But see, that's the thing is that people have been deceived their entire lives. That what is killing them is actually harmless. That what is killing them is actually good for them. That's what we're seeing now, Right? We have this idea in this world that all the stuff that the Bible calls sin, no, that's actually good. We have issues with homosexuality and, and gender identity issues. And we have issues with people that think drugs and, and getting drunk and all. You know, basically, this list here is not only, uh, not only not bad for you, but it's good for you. This is, you know, you got to live free. You got to do these things. That's the, the, the stuff that's being taught today. But the truth is, is that, that it's all a lie. All that stuff is damaging and hurting you. And he says that, that they're going to they're gonna malign you, they're going to abuse you, they're going to persecute you for wanting to live the life of a Christian. He says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's the unfortunate thing. You know, many people would read that and go, yeah, God's going to get them, but it actually breaks my heart. Because I don't want God to get them. I want them to get saved, to partake in the same thing that I have. They're going to give an account, and that's unfortunate, but if they would just receive that free gift of salvation, they would bypass that judgment. The Bible says that Christians aren't judged because the judgment fell on Jesus for us. But they will give an account. In 1 Peter 4.6, he says, For this is why the Gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live, in the Spirit, the way God does. This is one of those verses that when I read, I was like, huh? What the heck is he talking about? So let me read it to you in a different translation. And it kind of gives you a little bit of clarity of what, what he's talking about. In the New International Version, it says, For this is the reason the Gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. When I read that, it makes a little more sense to me and I can begin to break down what Peter's trying to say. And I would actually encourage you, if you are uh, reading a passage in your Bible, you're going through your daily reading because you're all doing daily reading, right? I know that you are doing your daily reading and you get to something, you're like, what is he trying to say here? One of the easiest things you can do is jump onto Bible Gateway online or something and look at the different translations. And usually when you read a bunch of different translations, you can form the picture of what's trying to be said there and understand what is being said. 
So in this one, um, what Peter is doing is actually wrapping up the entire thought of verses 1 through 5. And this stuff is much easier to understand if you look at the Scripture in the context. If you read this by itself, it seems kind of weird. But if you read it in the context of the last five verses that we just read, which is what you should be doing when you read the Bible, this is what he's saying. When he says, the Gospel was preached even to those who are dead. What he's saying is that for this reason, the, the reason that, that uh, he's talking about uh, uh, suffering for Christ is how we ought to live. He's talking about um, if you're a Christian, you should not be doing these things. Um, and if you, uh, if you are a Christian and you're not doing these things, they're going to malign you, they're going to abuse you, and then they're going to give an account. And for this reason, because the, the people are going to have to give an account, the gospel is preached to those who are already dead. What he's saying is those are preached to people who have heard the gospel and then died. Like I said, in the NIV version, it says that the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead. He's talking about these were real people that were living. The gospel was preached to them, and then they ended up dying for the gospel. And then he goes on to say, because that though they were judged in the way flesh, in the flesh the way people are, he's talking about those being persecuted in, in verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, or like other scriptures, other verses or translations say they abuse you. He's talking about those people that though they were judged in the flesh the way people are, that people were judging them for, for living the way that God called them to live, they suffered with the same attitude that Christ did. And then it goes on to say that they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Because they responded to the gospel. They suffered for a little while on this earth. They were maligned. They were abused. And they're now dead. But as a result, they get to spend eternity with their Heavenly Father. They get to spend eternity with God. They get to live in the Spirit the way that God does for the rest of their life because they responded to the gospel. So a quick recap of this is because the, of the gospel being preached, Christians who responded to it and then suffered for it at the hands of ungodly men will spend eternity with the Spirit of God. Because they're judged according to the finished works of Jesus Christ. In contrast to the Gentiles in verse 5, who are going to give an account for their deeds. The thing is, is that we're all responsible for all of our deeds, all of our sin, all of our failures. The difference between Christians and non-Christians is Christians uh, accepted the free gift of Jesus paying that price for them. Whereas those who don't accept Jesus opt to pay the price themselves. And he goes on to say, because <clears throat> for the end of all things is at hand. In verse 7, Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter's basically saying, look, even though the end is near, keep your cool. Keep your head on your shoulders. And here's the thing is, is, I don't know exactly when the last day is coming, when the end is coming, but I, I do know this, is that we're living in the end times. It's been the end times for the last 2,000 years. We're living in it now. And he says, the end of all things is at hand. Is it going to be another 2,000 years? Will it be tomorrow? I don't know. I'll save a bunch of money if it's tomorrow. <laughs> but he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. You see, this is the same phrase that he used in, ch in chapter 1. He says, be sober-minded. And what this means is to, to keep your mind free of clutter and distraction. 
How many know that we live in a world where it's super easy to be distracted? Sometimes you need to get away. You need to sit down. Keep your mind free of the clutter and the distraction. This means be in control of your thoughts and actions. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive. The truth is, is that sometimes thoughts will pop in your head. You can't keep them from popping in your head. That's not a conscious decision, but you, can, you have the choice of what to do with them when they get there. It's like the old expression says, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest. So he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. This idea of, of being sober-minded, he's, he's actually not talking about uh, drugs and alcohol. The principle is the same. But it helps to, I always find it helps when they're using these analogies to understand what they're trying to say is if, if we're being sober-minded, and I think I talked about this a, a few weeks ago when he was talking about it before, but to understand being sober-minded, you need to know what the opposite is. The opposite of being sober-minded is to be intoxicated. The definition is to be affected by alcohol or drugs, especially to the point where physical and mental control is markedly diminished. To be intoxicated is to have your faculties be away from you because it's being affected by drugs and alcohol. And we're talking about it in that sense. But in the spiritual sense, what it means is having other stuff in your life control your thoughts and your actions instead of having your mind on God and letting righteousness just to control your thoughts and your actions. We need to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers is what it says. That means that your prayer life is affected when you're not living the way that God intends you to live. We actually begin to put stuff in between us and God. We, uh, when, you, when you think about it in, in a, maybe an analogy, it's like your connection to Him is getting jumbled. Like when you're talking on a cell phone, it begins to break up. Because what we do is we begin to move away from God. We begin to separate ourselves from God. He's still there. He's waiting. He wants to be there. But because of the things that we do, we make it impossible for God to do the things that He wants to do in our life. Because we're not walking self-controlled and sober-minded. It, it impacts everything, including our prayer life. And that's the thing is that if we let the things of this world distract us, to get in our head, to cause any issues, we'll never be effective for God. Because you can't be effective if you're, if you're acting crazy. That's just the reality of it. And then he goes on to say, above all, when he says above all, what he's saying, this is the most important thing, in other words. He says, above all, the most important thing is to love one another earnestly. You know, this is the same thing that Jesus commanded us to do. John 13, 34-35 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The most important thing is that we love one another. Jesus gave us the same commandment. And then he says that we should do it earnestly. And the reason is, is that love covers a multitude of sins. This is one of my, those things when I was reading the Bible that confused me to no end. I'm like, how does love cover sins? I thought Jesus covered sin. Jesus died and He paid for all sin. If He paid for all sin, what sins are left to be covered? And it confused me. Because apparently, I'm not as smart as some of you in here that probably got it right away. I'm sure most of you did. How does it cover a multitude of sins? Well, the thing is, what he's talking about is our interaction with one another, right? He's talking about keep love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, you know that when you sin against your brother, you're still forgiven. 
How many know it could still cause a mess in that relationship? If you sin against somebody, we're, we're completely forgiven for the sin because of what Jesus did. But there's still consequences to our actions. We still have to deal with that. We still have to work through those relationships. We still have to, to move forward. How many know that if you're loving one another earnestly, it's a whole lot easier to forgive somebody that's done something to hurt you, to come against you? And that's the reality is, is that's just how life works. You guys have heard me say so many times that we're a family. And the way with thing about dealing with a family is how do you, that's the, the number one key is how do, you, how do you deal with those things when we hurt one another? Because the truth is, is we're going to hurt one another. We're going to let one another down. We're going to do things that, that we should never do to one another. The truth is, is that while I'll never intentionally do it as your pastor, I will probably hurt you, irritate you, bother you in some way, shape, or form. I'll never do it intentionally, but the reality is, is that it happens. The question is, how do we deal with it? Do you, do you love me anyway and you forgive me? Or do you let it sever the relationship? Those are the choices that we have to make. That's how love covers a multitude of sins. Because when we love one another, it allows us to forgive each other better. It allows us to have a greater compassion and understanding for one another. That's why it's the most important thing. And then he goes on to say, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. How many know that sometimes being hospitable is inconvenient? <laughs> you guys are laughing like you know what I'm talking about. Over the years, I've seen so many in this church be hospitable without complaining, though. Even though I know it's inconvenient. When we first started this, this church, and I don't see... Where's your dad at? Oh, is he, not, is he sick too? When we first started this church, we would have church in my home, and then we'd have Bible study on Wednesday nights. We still did our Wednesday night Bible study. We did it at George's house. And I, I know that was inconvenient. It was actually... I, I was pretty tricky back then. I figured if I had it at their house, they could not show up. So, <laughs> so we, we had it at their house. I knew they'd be there because it was their house. And, but it was inconvenient. You know, they had to get everything cleaned up, get the chairs out, get everything ready. It was inconvenient, but they never grumbled. They just, they were so hospitable to, to us and the rest of the church, and they were always welcoming. I remember one time, pretty early in the church, we were going to go and uh, have a barbecue at, at Silver, Bell, Silver Bell Lake. And uh, we get out there, and we're just getting ready to start the fire, and this huge storm <laughs> rolls in. And just starts pouring down rain. So we all packed it up and went over to Kathy and Joseph's house, Pastor Joseph's house over there on, um, uh, they live near Speedway. And we just went to their house. And we walk in and we're all wet and muddy feet tracking through their home. And I know it was super inconvenient, but they didn't grumble. They just welcomed into the, into the home. Several times a year, Jan and Cliff welcomed us into their home. I don't know if you guys were at their house for the Thanksgiving thing last week. You guys are a rowdy bunch with lots of kids. It was loud. I mean, I know it was inconvenient, but they never grumble. Yeah. It's, actually, your kids are fine. She's terrible, though. I mean, she's just out of, out of control. Hallelujah. <laughs> but you know, we're, the, the hospitality that's been shown without grumbling is amazing. And, and 
you know, a lot of times when we preach this stuff, sometimes it's stuff we need to get a hold of. Sometimes it's stuff we need to be reminded of to keep walking in. So let's keep walking in love. Let's keep walking in hospitality with one another. Because that's what Christians, that's what we should look like. That should be our calling card. That's why Jesus said that, that they'll know that you are my disciples for your what? Your love for one another. I mean, it should be, love should be oozing off of you. People should know you by your love. Then he goes on and says that we need to be good stewards of, of God's grace. 1 Peter 4, 10-11 As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you know that God has gifted every single one of you in this room? You have gifts that can be used to serve Him. Use what He's given you. Can you sing? Can you play an instrument? Get involved in, in, in leading worship, either on the worship team, or if you're, if you're a youth, do with the youth, or, or even just having people come over and worshiping God. Use those gifts to serve His kingdom. You have any artistic talent? Use that to serve the kingdom of God. See how you can use it to glorify God. Are you a generous person? Are you good with kids? Are you good with electronics or technology? Let me know. We can use those things in the church to glorify God. This is what Paul said about using gifts given to us by God's grace in Romans 12, 4-8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith and service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his ex exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The truth is, is that we should use our gifts to honor God. Because it's been given to us to do that. That's the whole purpose of the gifts. There's so, there's so many in this room that are so incredibly talented, but you don't realize that God gave you that gift, that ability not to serve yourself, to glorify yourself, but actually to glorify Him. All these gifts are given in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, is that the glory belongs to Him. That's one of the things that when I was younger, I, I struggled with because everything I seemed to put my hand to just worked out. Everything I tried worked out. The problem was, I thought I was awesome. I thought it was me. <laughs> and one day God said, all right, you think it's you? Let me step back a second and let's see how it works out. Spoiler alert, it didn't. <laughs> And my world came crashing down around me. But then I began to realize that everything that I can do, everything that God has gifted me with, is to serve Him. I, it's funny, I don't know if, if you guys have ever looked through your life to see how things work, but I look at even every job I've ever had, every training that I've ever had, it never worked to fruition in the, in the, in the secular world, but I look back at all the training and jobs I've had, and I'm like, God was just preparing me to do this. 
the whole times, even when I didn't even know it, even when I was, I was in, in high school and, and, and in college, God's been preparing me for this this whole time and I didn't even know it. The problem is I thought I was getting it all for me, but it was instead for Him. So if God's given you a gift, and it doesn't even have to be particular. Some of you guys are just gifted servers. Just people that, that are they're servants. And that's what He says here. Serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That means that some people have that servant heart. You can do anything. But the truth is, is that we, we need people. We need people to step up and use their gifts in this church so that we can grow and have the stability to have even more people come in. We need people to, to run the slides so that, and, and help with the soundboard so Matt doesn't have to do both every single week. We could use people that could help out with that. Matter of fact, I could use probably three people. So we could have two people that, that alternate on slides and two people that alternate on, on the soundboard. So three people could help out over there. I know we need help in the children's church. Like I said, we got a lot of kids. And that room gets packed. They don't want to be doing it every single week. All you all with kids are like, oh, I'm so glad I get a break. And they're like, we want a break too. <laughs> That's an area that you can help out. We need greeters. We need, there, we need people that help with, with social media. We have a couple people doing it, but we can still use more. People that, you know, all the slides and stuff that get put together, I still do that. If there was somebody that was gifted in, in that, that could do that stuff, use your gift to glorify God and serve in His church. The whole reason you were given those gifts was to serve Him anyway. Amen? In verses 12 through 14, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You know, that's the thing is, so many times as Christians, we go through stuff and we're like, Why is this happening? I'm doing all the right things. I'm praying. I'm reading. I'm going to church. But Peter says, Don't be surprised. It's, it's going to happen. You're going to go through stuff. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So when we're persecuted, when we face suffering for being a Christian, we, we, we shouldn't think it's strange. And it's for two main reasons we shouldn't think it's strange. One, we isolate ourselves when we think that we're the only ones going through something. If we think it's strange and we're the only ones dealing with stuff, we don't want to talk about it, we don't want to get support and encouragement from one another, we don't want to walk alongside other people, we isolate ourselves and it just makes it more difficult. Matter of fact, that's what the devil wants, is you to be separated. That's why so many times you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're, you're too tired to go to church or you don't feel well on a Sunday morning. It's like Saturday, you felt great. Sunday morning, you feel bad. All of a sudden at noon, you feel better again. But you wake up with those things. It's because the devil wants you to be isolated and not be around other believers. Stuff will happen. The car will act up. The kids will act up. There'll be fights. There'll be issues. But the truth is, is you should persevere. And it's always crazy to me when people are like, man, I really want to make it to the healing service, but I'm just too sick to come. Like, <laughs> that's what we're doing here. <laughs> you know? The second reason... Is in 2 John 15 through 18. This is what Jesus said. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Most of the time, people don't even hate you, they hate Jesus inside of you. So don't think it's strange when you're going through these things, but instead rejoice anyway. 
You know, the thing is, is that in this country, we're starting to see a shift in the cultural mindset. We're starting to see a shift in the government. And, and uh, right now, we still have a really good, most Christians in other countries would love to have the freedoms that we have. The fact that we can come and have a building with a big sign outside that lets people know that we're a church is amazing. The fact that we have a place that we can come together and worship and pray and study His Word, is, it's an incredible blessing. You know, it's one of the things that I think Christians get really wrong is that we, we take it for granted. You know, we don't want to get involved in a church. We don't want to deal with anything we don't like or deal with any hard things because we know we can just go to another church around the corner if we don't like what's happening there. So instead of working through things, instead of showing forgiveness and working and walking in that love, we just keep hopping churches because there's no reason not to. There's no, we have it so good that we take it for granted. But the thing is, is we are starting to see a shift in this country and in the government, and I think things are going to, probably going to start changing here before long. Uh, in California, they, they've uh, uh, now passed a resolution, or it's getting ready to be passed, that uh, pastors are no longer allowed to, to uh, say that transgenderism and gender identity and, and homosexuality is something that's a sin. We're not allowed to call it a sin anymore. I don't think it's quite a law yet, but they passed a resolution that all the, all the terminology, all the things have to change. You know, and it's funny when they talk about being inclusive and, and accepting, what they mean is everybody but the Christians, or only Christians need to do it. Nobody else has to be accepting of what we believe. But the truth is, things are changing. We're going to start facing more persecution. We're going to start facing more things. And as they get worse, we shouldn't be surprised. He says, don't be surprised. Matter of fact, we should all be surprised if you're surprised. Because it says clearly not to be surprised. <laughs> and he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. That's a weird phrase, right? How do we share in Christ's suffering? By faith. He took our place. And we took His life. By suffering, we were dead buried and rose again that's why we do baptism that's what it's a picture of dying in christ being buried and rising again in newness of life that's the whole purpose so insofar as as you share in christ's suffering insofar as you're a christian don't be surprised at these things that we may rejoice when his glory is revealed you know one day jesus is coming back and there's not going to be any confusion anymore people are going to say oh i guess those weren't fairy tales and they're going to have a rude awakening and while they'll be, they'll be uh, uh, having a moment of, of regret, we'll be able to rejoice when His glory is revealed. And there'll be the, the, the flesh in us that'll want to say, I told you so, but I think it's actually going to be a much sadder time as we look around and see all those people who didn't make it. Especially if we had the opportunity to minister to them and to share with them. See, when Christ is revealed to all on that day, we're going to rejoice and we'll be exalted if we connect to it by faith right now. You have the opportunity now. When Jesus comes back, it'll be too late. When you die, it'll be too late. Accepting this before you die, before He comes back, is the key. And if we don't receive this free gift by faith, then that day, those people will be weeping. And he says, but if you are insulted, insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. See, if someone insults you or ridicules, ridicules you, 
or you suffer because you're a Christian, know that you're blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon you. In the Old Testament, this idea of, uh, in Jewish tradition as well, this idea of uh, the Spirit uh, rests upon, God's Spirit rests upon His people to empower them and to strengthen them. That's the idea here. You are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's a, it's a picture of blessing and empowerment. And the thing is, if you're a Christian, you're going through these things. If you will stay pressed into Him, He will give you the strength to get through whatever you're going through. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. We've done some Bible studies and looked at some of the people that are being persecuted in other countries. And, and uh, well, I, I pray that I can have the resolve that they have to do the things that they're doing. But I'm, I'm amazed that when I look at the Christian or the, the American church and we can't get people to come to church on Sunday, but in those, they're, they're risking their lives to meet together and they're memorizing the Bible because they know it'll be taken from them and they figure they can't take it from me if it's in my mind. In verses 15 through 18, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Remember, we're talking about Christian suffering. We're going to suffer as Christians, but don't let any of us suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So just so everybody's clear, there's no glory in suffering for an illegitimate reason. If you are, if you are sinning, you're doing stupid stuff, and you're suffering, that's reaping what you sow. There's no glory in that. There's no honor in that. There's no blessing in that. If you go to prison for murdering somebody or breaking the law, that's your due reward. You reap what you sow. But if you are persecuted, if you are ridiculed, or even harmed for being a Christian, if there comes a point that one day we get thrown in prison for being Christians, then there will be blessing upon us. And I thank God that, that, that the life that we live now is, is but a vapor, is so quick, because even if we have to live our lives suffering here, eternity is going to be glorious with Him. But it's going to be a completely different situation for those who haven't received His gift of salvation. But if you're persecuted, you're ridiculed, you're harmed for being a Christian, don't be ashamed. Peter says, don't, don't be ashamed for those things. Instead, glorify God. And I love reading about these men because how many know Peter's not just speaking hypotheticals here? He's not saying, this is what you should do. It's not what I would do, but this is what you should do. But the truth is, is that we can look in the book of Acts and see that Peter's already lived this. In Acts 55, 40-41, uh, it says, And when they had called in the apostles, and they beat them, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. This isn't something that Peter is, is this isn't uh, uh, hypothetical for him. This is, he's already lived this. And he knows what the outcome is. And that's the thing is, is this, this judgment he's talking about, this judgment of man to begin with the household of God, this, this persecution by people, it's, it's beginning and it's on this earth. And the truth is, is, as things change in the United States, we may have to face this just like they faced it and the, the time that they were living then. Like I said, technology changes. People don't. 
people that aren't born again, they see the cross as foolishness, not the power to save, and they ridicule and they persecute and they, they, they try to abuse and harm those who are believers. But the, the thing that Peter brings up, he says, man, if, if as believers you're going through this, think about what they're going to go through when the time has come. And the thing is, is God allows persecution to happen around us to impact us and to help us grow. Now, I don't believe for a second that God causes these people to do harm to Christians. God is not out there uh, having non-Christian marionettes causing them to do harm. God doesn't cause this stuff. But He certainly uses it to strengthen us, to help us to grow, to help us do the things that we should be doing. If you remember, when Jesus left, what did, what did he, he give the Great Commission? He told them to go into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What did they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. What got them to move out of Jerusalem? Persecution. Now, I don't think God caused all those people to be, be awful to them, but He certainly used it to get what He wanted to get done. He allowed them to be persecuted, to, to, to let those things happen so that they would actually get off their butt. You know, one of the things, as much as I don't want to be to, to go through the suffering and the pain and the persecution, I think it might actually be a good thing for the American church to face this a little bit. The thing is, is that we're strengthened through these trials as our faith grows. Because we actually have to exercise our faith muscle and trust God and it begins to grow. It becomes stronger. And we're disciplined, not punished. I want you to understand there's a difference between discipline and punishment. But we are disciplined through persecution to, to do what God wants us to do. And the truth is, it's not as if the righteous is scarcely saved. You know this has nothing to do with God's ability. It has to do with us. It's not difficult for God to save us, but the difficulty lies with us. Because we have to make choices. Do we move forward in our faith or do we back down and run away? Because being a believer isn't easy. And there's going to be tough times. We'll go ahead and end here in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. You know, one of the things that, like he said, we shouldn't be surprised. If we're living in the will of God, we're going to face suffering in our lives. That's just a fact of life. We're going to go through it. And there's, there's no two ways about it. And the truth is, is like I said, in, in the United States, I think as Christians, we've had it so easy for so long that we don't even get the concept you know, some, we get a flat tire and then we're mad at God for the next six months. We realize that's such a, a minute thing in the scheme of things. And God had nothing to do with it. You ran over a nail. That's just how nails work. But we, we, we're so jaded and, and so misunderstand this stuff that, and we're so, the truth is, is we're so blessed we've become soft in the church. Maybe it would be a good thing if things changed for us. You know, at countries where the gospel is outlawed, people risk their lives to come together like this. They risk everything. And then when they're inviting people to join in, they don't know if this person is a spy working for the government or if it's someone that's genuinely interested. And, and they take that risk every single day to try to share the gospel with people at great peril to themselves because they care more about that person getting saved than about them being hurt. Or killed. 
And they risk everything to come together. They would give anything to do what we're doing right now. But in the United States, we can't get people to to give up a football game on Sunday morning to come to church. Because those are the things that are more important to us. But the thing is, is that we will suffer in varying degrees depending on where you live and what you're dealing with. But if we do suffer, if we're in God's will, then we're to trust our faithful Creator while doing good in God's will. We'll end it with this verse because this is how, how Paul said it to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.8-12, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Church, that's the attitude that we should take on. Amen? Amen. Let's go and bow our heads.